today. You know what? And in the ring with Dan and Benny, hey, brother, man, hey, he's about the most cat. I just love him to death. I love you. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're the best. I'm telling you, brother, in the ring with Dan and Benny. Yeah. We love you. Thank Woo. you so much, Dan. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
as much as he's tried to walk away and do other things like the XFL and uh, before that, the World Bodybuilding Federation and the movies and as much as he wants to create this facade of sports entertainment, at the end of the day, Vince is a pro wrestling promoter. Uh, you can give him credit and say he's been a pro wrestler. And um, it's hard for him to walk away. And I think there's a theme here, guys, of 2022 of of people coming and going and Vince and Ric Flair and even a young guy like Nick Aldis with the NWA and CM Punk and AEW. For me, 2022 is the year of the hello, goodbye. Are you ever coming back or what? You know, it's a lot of transitions this year. You know, I, I don't care who you are and whether you're a musician, you're, you're an athlete, you know, whatever you are, at some point, it's time for you to go home. And I, I mean, for me personally, I think, you know, that that time is here for McMahon. No, you, you can't argue with that. I mean, especially when you look at, especially when you look at the uh, ideas behind, like you know, the the current product. Mikey hit it on the head. Is that that ratings? I mean, um, we'll get to deep down into the ratings later in the show, but uh, ratings are slightly up. Interest is up. Tickets are up. The general consensus is the product is better. Under the new guidance, um, Triple H obviously has brought back a lot of talent, and that's something uh, to get to the next topic. Uh, big stories from the year were debuts and returns. People all over the companies, not just, like you mentioned, Vince McMahon stepping into the ring at, at WrestleMania. Oddly enough, his first his first WrestleMania win uh, in his career but you also had uh, you, you talk about the numerous returns under Triple H, uh, some of the debuts, the, the people that had jumped ship with AEW. Uh, Mikey, do you think that you said 2022 was kind of the year of hello goodbyes? What do you think was the biggest hello? We'll start with that. I, I would probably say uh, you could say Cody coming over to WWE at WrestleMania. I mean, that I think as far as the actual pro wrestling fan you know, fan fandom, I think that was probably the biggest surprise because it affected both the AEW fans who, to their discredit or credit, they've been booing Cody for about a year or a year and a half. So, but, but you, you always appreciate somebody once they're gone, right? So Cody comes over to the WWE somehow or another, he keeps his same music, which was a surprise to everybody. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, and he more or less keeps the American Nightmare thing. The only thing we didn't see with Cody, although I wouldn't be surprised if it came back into the scene, was his uh, beautiful wife, Brandy Rose, who a lot of AEW fans took issue with. I, I particularly didn't. I always thought Brandy was uh, you know, easy on the eyes and she brought something to the table. Uh, but I think the biggest comeback uh, is Cody to the WWE is, as far as in-ring stuff. That's what I'd go with. Uh, you agree, Benny? Yes. Yeah, definitely. And as far as goodbyes, uh, Ric Flair said a goodbye that he didn't need to say, in my opinion. That was awful. Yeah. No, that, that's a good uh, transition to the, to the second half of it. I mean, obviously, uh, there were a lot of – we talked about the debuts. Um, there was a lot of returns. You had some some high-profile names uh, like Bailey and uh, WWE – uh, coming back from very lengthy injuries, um, as well as as <clears throat> some some interesting debuts, and it was a good year for that. But you talked about goodbyes, and that's a good transition because this year you had, or excuse me, twenty twenty two, you had two headline stories: the Ric Flair finale, and that entire weekend, and then just recently, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat wrestled what was what would be his last match. So, first off, Benny, we know your opinion on it. Mikey, I want your thoughts. Uh, did you get a chance to watch either of those, and if so, who do you think had the better farewell? I actually was up in New England for the Ric Flair thing. I ordered it at my friend's house. We had about seven or eight people over to watch it, and uh, we had a great time, and the undercard of the Ric Flair's last match to give uh, they say it's Jim Crockett promotions. I think it's more of Conrad Thompson promotions. But to give the undercard a lot of credit, they had guys from Impact Wrestling. Um, I think all the major companies, including WWE to an extent, were uh, uh, represented because Jeff Jarrett, 
who at that time worked for WWE and was just at SummerSlam the night before. Yep. They had so many different promotions. It was almost like one of those um, AWA, NWA super cards from the Meadowlands in 84. So, I mean, it was pretty impressive. I thought the undercard was great. The, the main event with Flair in it was, I think it went 27 minutes, which was probably 20, you know, 15 minutes too long, too long to be fair. Um, and Flair, apparently, he says he was having energy drinks and was dehydrated. But uh, apparently he kind of passed out twice during the match. And uh, like Benny said, he didn't need to do it. Having a pacemaker in his chest or, or defibrillator in his chest wasn't didn't seem to be a smart idea. But there I was watching it. So what can you say? They got my money, right? Yeah. No, I agree. Honestly, um, I know, Benny, we, we talked about this on the show already. The whole weekend, to me, the undercard was entertaining. There were definitely some moments. Um, obviously, we had the, the soft spot in our, our hearts for... Uh, seeing old old Tony Schiavanto get to interview Jimmy Valiant again. Uh, some of the backstage moments. Um, the unf- my my issue with the Ric Flair debacle was was they tried to make an entire spectacle out of it. Not just the match, but they had the weekend. The the they had the roast of Ric Flair, which was oh, I I I can't say enough on how awful that was. Um, just unfunny. Clearly, people who didn't want to be there or were already drunk or high, and and people comedians that didn't know, like I mean, not even just reading off cue cards. Like obviously, these got guys grabbed off the streets, get on stage and and say something about Ric Flair. Who's that kind of moment? But um, I, I think it underscores the when they first announced that Ric Flair was going to have his return match. The uh, the rumor or la- lack of a better term was it was going to be. Uh, Rick Flair and FTR against Ricky Steamboat and the Rock and Roll Express, who were also doing their own farewell tour at the time. And Ricky Steamboat, obviously, publicly, he bowed out. I'm not doing this anymore. And then he wrestled his own match. So, uh, Benny, I'll go to you on that one. Uh, your thoughts on Ricky Steamboat wanting his own farewell instead of being a part of Ric Flair's? Well, I watched a a video with Ricky, and he wanted absolutely no part of uh, the Flair match. And what he said was that, you know, he knew Flair had a pacemaker, and he didn't want to be associated with, uh, you know, God forbid, Flair croaked in the ring. He didn't want to be a part of that. And, I I mean, who can blame him? Right. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't the story go, and and Benny, uh, or excuse me, Mikey, you could jump in here on this one, that Charlotte Flair was basically telling her father, like, don't do this. Take it easy. None of the crazy bumps. Just, you know, and, and there were people up until literally the last second trying to talk Ric Flair out of that, out of the match she, itself. She probably was. And, you know, she's look as, as famous and as successful as Charlotte or Ashley Flair is. You got to remember, you know, she's got a, a younger brother that's deceased now that she still thinks about every time she goes to the ring most likely. So the last thing that Charlotte slash Ashley wants is to see her dad go out like that. And uh, uh, just to that Ricky Steamboat thing, I saw the clip as well. And I think what Steamboat was saying was that he and Conrad, you know, had had talked shop and and put the idea on the table for Steamboat to be be Flair's last opponent. And then it wasn't until they started the conversation at some point later did Steamboat find out that the defibrillator was in Flair's chest? And that's when Steamboat, like Benny said, said, I want nothing to do with this. But initially, Steamboat was interested. Um, just to answer your question, I did order, uh, thanks for reminding me, because I ordered from Big Time Wrestling that three-show uh, package, their Thanksgiving package, which included Steamboat's last match. And um, trying to be a good guy, I've been trying to watch all three shows in order, and I'm still like, you know, in the first match of the second card. So I haven't even gotten to the Steamboat show yet. And that's that's part of the problem being a wrestling fans, guys. There's so much content. If yeah. you're watching modern day Absolutely. wrestling, there's a help. Right. I mean, and, and to me, guys, I've got like, I've got more wrestling on DVD and Blu-ray even that I can watch in one lifetime. Yeah. I mean, I've got the the first year of Total Nonstop Action on, DV, on Blu-ray. I've got 
all Japan pro wrestling's greatest matches from the 1980s on Blu-ray. So being right. a wrestling fan, in many ways, I always say it's never been a better time if, because you've got YouTube with wrestling. You've got you, all these outlets to watch stuff. You have to think about it. You're you're right. Now, I mean, it's not just with uh, some of the smaller promotions running their own shows now, but just mainstream primetime wrestling between Raw, SmackDown, AEW, Dynamite, uh, you know, AEW Rampage, and NXT. That is nine hours. Unless, unless they do a super show, nine to ten hours a week of just primetime main shows. And then you have several hours of the of the AEW Dark. And you've got NWA Power and AAA and New Japan. And our, our friends, Benny, at the BWC are going to start running shows now. Another YouTube show we're going to have, you know. That tune in because that's going to be can't miss and and the indie feds that are running now in the post COVID world. There's just so much out there, but I, I want to transition for a second. We talked about P, uh, matches that we never thought we'd see. Obviously, who thought going into 2022 I'd watch a Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat match on pay per view? Um, you know who who would have thought another mat uh, big something that got a lot of headlines? A match that a lot of people never thought they would see again. Uh, in a, it happened in our uh, AW. Uh, Soraya came back five years with a, of a neck injury. A lot of people thought she would not only never wrestle again, but or never be involved in wrestling again, but never wrestle. Period. She stepped in the ring, had a uh, let's say a ring rust, uh, worked off the ring rust in her match with Britt Baker at the AW pay per view. Uh, ben, Mikey, you first. What are your thoughts on on that that story where you had someone who. I mean, twice with neck injuries told, you know, you're, you were half an inch from never walking again, getting back in the ring. Well, I give Saraya, you know, AKA formerly known as Paige, a lot of credit for coming back. But to be honest, I'm not a big fan of hers. I feel like, you know, her best days were against AJ Lee. And I kind of think that AJ Lee carried her in those matches or rose <clears throat> Paige to a higher level. And now is Soraya, she had a really blunder-filled promo, if you guys remember that, like going into the Britt Baker match, like just a, a god-awful promo. And the match, I, I'm sure I remember which pay-per-view, but it was, it, from my memory, it was kind of sloppy. And just, it, it, it wasn't a horrible match. It wasn't that Jackie Gata, you know, uh, match from Raw 15 or 20 years ago, but <laughs> it was pretty uh, slow and laborious. It was... It was kind of like having an ingrown toenail removed. It was just, you know, you're glad when it was over, you know, because the pain stopped. Uh, Benny, I, I I was trying to be more kind about it, give her the benefit of the doubt, but but what do you think? Did you get a chance to see her return match? I did not, but I'm kind of with Mikey. I mean, I, I do like her. I've always liked her. I like her story, but it, it's more now of a sentimental thing versus what she can actually do. Right. Well, I think it's it's interesting. She's a unique entity in women's wrestling because she came around like like uh like Mikey mentioned her matches with uh AJ Lee and and she came around right at the cusp when when it looked like the, the WWE was going to start taking women's wrestling serious again. Uh obviously other promotions had banger matches with women and and wwe was behind the times on that one and then she gets hurt she kind of steps away and in the in the meantime the four horsewomen and nxt and charlotte and becky and sasha and bailey and uh some of the some of the secondary you know um obviously beth phoenix and and some of the uh talent that just kind of came in and then even your your uh prime i mean you had uh uh Naomi and the Bella twins, oddly, oddly enough, Nikki Bella with a lengthy title reign, the, the divas revolution, as it were, women's wrestling just kind of took, not just left her in the dirt, but it was like a meteoric rise while she was on the shelf. She had the brief return, re-injured her neck at five years later, she steps back in the ring. It, it, do you think it, it, Benny, this was for you since you were talking about this. Do you think it's kind of a, uh, too late, like the horse has already left the barn kind of situation for her? Or do you think there's a chance she could still ha has something to offer? No, I, I think her, her best days are like way, way past. And I, again, my opinion, she did not help herself with her affiliation with Al Alberto Del Rio. 
on a, on a personal level. But yeah, I think, you know, she's one of those uh, people we're going to reminisce about and say, boy, when she was young, she was great. But I think that's really about it. Can't go wrong with that. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly. But um, speaking of AW, we kind of bounced around a little bit. I, I know it's how 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 unusual for for Mikey to hit three or four topics in the same sentence. But um, one of one of the things I wanted to touch on too, I thought got a lot of publicity, especially now because you had you had the arrival, you had the the debut, the formation, the stories, and now uh, the at the end of the year the story of him leaving, but uh, I want to touch on William Regal's time in AEW. He came out during the heated, the feud between Moxley and Brian Danielson, uh, formerly Daniel Bryan. And he, he formed the Blackpool combat club, which again, the, the, another debut in there with Claudio Castagnoli, the former Cesaro coming over to AEW. Uh, There was a lot of talk pretty quickly of, of buyer's remorse. He, you know, uh, some of it, obviously dirt sheet reporting where William Regal was very turned off by the, the AW locker room, the unprofessionalism, the childish and the lack of willingness to learn. There was a lot of talent in AEW that just wanted nothing to do with him being, having the mentor role. Uh, now, obviously the story goes when Vince McMahon stepped down, uh, William Regal and triple H very close he immediately wanted to go back, and and now there's talk of how long his contract is. Uh, there's the story of possibly the non-compete clause of sorts where he can go work for WWE, but he won't be allowed to appear on television for at least 10 months, et cetera. Um, Mikey, to you first, what do you think about the, the kind of, I don't even know, flash in the pan, for lack of a better description, of William Regal's time in AEW? I was not impressed with uh, William Regal's time in AEW. Um, I'll say this first. I was not a huge NXT black and gold era fan when William Regal had like his on-air, you know, general manager of NXT role. And I think a lot of fans, you know, millennial fans uh, really like Regal for that. And they kind of put him on a pedestal. And I just don't. I mean, I remember watching Steve Regal as a television champion, Sunshine, you know, back in 94. Uh, But... This modern day William Regal, uh, you know, wise uncle of wrestling, it doesn't fly with me. Uh, I don't buy into it. And I think that this case is one of those deals where Tony Khan being a nice guy kind of snake bit the promotion and really hurt guys like John Moxley. Because, you know, for what it's worth, Regal handing the brass knuckles to MJF for MJF to win the title. It was, in my mind, a, a pretty simple thing. Okay, Regal's going to manage MJF now, and Mox, and and you know uh, Brian Danielson, uh, they're all going to be coming after MJF uh, for that championship and Claudio. And then when when apparently the story is uh, Tony Khan's mother was in the hospital, and uh, you know Tony Khan's literally at the hospital trying to check in with his mother. And Regal calls him and gives him this news about, you know, Triple H, Triple H wants me back. And so then Khan, Tony Khan, basically a gentleman that he is, allows Regal to go back or to be released from AEW pretty quickly. And they have to kind of, you know, uh, crowbar this storyline on the next dynamite of MJF stabbing Regal in the back, which was entirely rushed and entirely... Uh, transparent for the people that are paying attention um and there you go so it makes to me it makes uh moxie look foolish he doesn't get his chance for revenge and it, it really just makes all those guys and those are some of the top guys when you're talking about mjf brian danielson and moxley and, and claudio those are some of the top workers in aew so for their storyline to kind of be wasted because Regal wants to go drink tea with his buddy Triple H in Connecticut. Uh, to me, that's a strike against Tony Khan because he should have said no. He should have said, I need you for six months. I need you for four months. I need you to, to you know, pl- play this thing out. You know, and that's just my opinion, but I'm not privy to their contracts and so forth. But to me, it was rather disappointing. And- 
No, I, I agree. I think it, it hurt, and you hit it on the head. It completely hurt John Moxley, especially because they built him up as this tough, you know, renegade comes out to wild thing. He's the he's their the uh, you know Gen Gen Z version of Stone Cold. And for him to get betrayed and get nothing from it except a cheap promo to tell Regal to just walk away, like the John Moxley we'd seen for the last 18 months on television would have punched him in the mouth before he grabbed a microphone. And obviously Regal couldn't take a you know that big of a bump. We understand that. But you know, you're right. You you had what was arguably the biggest, most talented mainstream faction in the company. And and they went nowhere in a hurry and were wasted. And now the interesting thing is those guys are still the Blackpool Combat Club without William Regal. He <laughs> was their tie to Blackpool. That makes, you know, that's like that'd be that'd be the you know, if Chris Jericho were to leave and the rest of the guys still called themselves the Jericho Appreciation Society. Like you, you their tie to Blackpool was their coach who betrayed them. They have no them, I guess you got. They got to get through the rest of the Blackpool merchandise that they had had made. I guess, but what do you think, Benny? The fact that they're still going by the name despite Regal. Regal's going to be on WWE TV, and he's still going to have a faction in AEW. You know, I, I'm I'm kind of with Mike. I loved the WCW William Regal from the late '90s, the guy who was a TV champion, the guy who shot on Goldberg, you know, <laughs> which led him to getting fired. But I just, you know, I, I wasn't really a big fan when he was the NXT commissioner. And I was I, I was semi-excited when I found out that he had, he had a podcast coming called The Villain Cast. And I, oh, man, this is going to be great. I listened to maybe 15 minutes and I had to turn it off. I just I, I can't I can't listen to him anymore. I think time's passed the guy by. That's, you know, and it's a shame to see it because I love, I mean, some of the, one of my favorite WCW matches was he had a no holds barred match against the Belfast, the Belfast brawler who was oh, you yeah. know, Fit Finley. And I mean, they were both bloody and beaten and it was just one of the, and you could see the raw talent and physicality. And obviously, like you said, his, his, his uh, match with Goldberg, depending on whose version of events you want to listen to, I mean, he tied Goldberg in knots and exposed him in a way that had nobody had ever seen before. Um, I, I'm not going to lie. I even cracked a smile at his, at his manly man gimmick that he had in the WWF for a little while <laughs> coming out with the hard hat and the, the, the um, denim sleeveless shirt, you know, but I, 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 it's sad to see that you have such a big name and that leads to my next point. And uh, Benny, I'm going to pick your brain on this one. Uh, William Regal really headlined what turned out to be a huge year for debuts in AEW. We, we talked about the, the hell, like Mikey said in the beginning, the hello goodbye era, but you had William Regal and Claudio Castagnoli and Soraya. It seemed every week, uh, new Japan, WWE, uh, Jeff Jarrett. Now it seemed like every week T uh, I almost said TNA every week, AEW was bringing in new talent. I mean, they have to have a roster of 500 people right now. And that was a big story of, of what they're going to do with everybody, where all this money is going and talent is going. So I'll pick your brain first. What do you think of the 2022 story of the Tony Khan open checkbook? Well, you know, being an accountant by trade, a finance guy for my whole business career, uh, ever since they've started, that's been my thing. It's like, how are they making money? I mean, they got to—they're paying a lot of people a lot of money. Where, where's the offset? I, I just don't see that happening. I mean, you know, are, are, they're not really. I mean, as far as house shows and things like that, uh, where are they? I just don't. I, I don't. I don't see the offset. Mike, what do you think? Well. Um... AW's business model and their creative model as of now, they've only done one house show in the history of their company, which was during pandemic times. And I attended that house show. It was at Daly's place, I believe on a Friday night. And it was a lot of fun. The house uh, always wins, it was called. And that's back when Cody was there and everybody else. And I actually have a lot of clips and full matches from that show on subscribe to Mike Messier YouTube channel. But um, for me, I went to a AEW dark taping at Universal Studios, which I think used to be the impact zone for TNA wrestling. And That's correct. Um, 
it was first off a lot of people who work at universal studios don't know that aew tapes out of there because uh the universe the, the actual lot or the actual you know studio that it's being filmed in is kind of hidden and and if you don't know where you're going like i didn't nobody can tell you how to find the, the wrestling <laughs> show which i thought and and to be honest i i've been saying that about aw in jacksonville i'm in jacksonville which by default is the capital of aw because of daly's place and the jaguars that the cons also own and if i'm walking around with a wrestling t-shirt in in jacksonville and somebody talks to me about wrestling and then i say hey do you watch aew Nine times out of ten, they don't know what I'm talking about. And this is in the home city. Um, so I think AEW has a real problem with not reaching out to the community of, the, of what they're in, putting up some billboards. Um, but as far as how they're making money, Benny, I, I mean, the AEW action figures are on the stores. Like, if you go to Walmart, you'll see that for 20 bucks you can get an AEW action figure. And the T-shirts through Pro Wrestling Tees and... I think AEW is making money. It may not be hand over fist, but between the action figures, the T-shirts, uh, the advertising revenue, I mean, all things considered, their program is still pretty highly rated on the, the Turner, TBS, TNT networks. So I, I think they're doing okay. And I, I think it's good that there is an alternative uh, to WWE. Warts and all, you know, flaws and all, Right. I think the wrestling business is better off with AEW. It's always better with competition. Yeah, I agree. And and I, I think, too, a, you know, um, I'll admit this year, uh, or excuse me, last year, uh, I went to a WWE show and an AEW show. And just like the previous year, uh, the AEW show was better, uh, not just um, better as in quality, but the, the atmosphere, the crowd seemed more into it. The crowd seemed now I will say, um, I went to AEW's first ever show at Norfolk. I mean, obviously everyone knows the history there, the history Norfolk has in wrestling. And it was a sold out house packed, uh, sold out in, in a short period of time, same building about a year and a half later and maybe half best case scenario half full now i'm sure some of that was the covid crowd that'll that just really wanted to come out but the crowd was noticeably smaller and um i thought it was interesting at the end of the night after the camera stopped rolling tony khan came out and he brought hook on stage and he talked about you know he basically apologized to the crowd that their roster is so big he's like i i i know there's people in the back you want to see like i'm sorry we couldn't get everybody on the card tonight and I mean, I, it felt weird because, you know, Tony Khan with that that unique energy that he has. Um, it, 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 he was almost apologizing, like, I'm sorry, my roster is so big. I can't possibly bring everyone out in two because they filmed two shows that night, you know, on two shows like we, we know. And that's when he brought Hook out because he was the one of the champions. And, um, you know, I, I think it's interesting to see, cause you, you know, and now there's the same talk. Uh, Mikey, I'm going to pick your brain on this one. WWE, Triple H bringing back all kinds of names from, from uh, <clears throat> carrying cross to hit row where WWE's main roster is now significantly larger than it was at this point a year ago. Do you think WWE might have the same problem with uh, what, what you were describing where they're going to make money, they're going to have the the, the the revenue, but maybe not the main focus because there's just so many people, so many fingers in the pots that pot as it were. Well, with their current creative model, which I don't particularly like, but it's what they're doing, they basically have three options for their wrestlers, Raw, SmackDown, or NXT. And uh, we saw with, with people like Mandy Rose, now, of course, she's gone now, but Mandy Rose and even the New Day left, you know, what they call the main roster and went down to NXT and won some titles and, and kind of re bolstered themselves. And I think a year or two years ago, uh, Finn Balor did the same thing. So I think the advantage, Dan, is that WWE has these three different programs uh, in which to bounce their wrestlers around. And if they start doing, I think Triple H has talked about NXT Europe or NXT Japan someday. If they do get those up and running at some point, they'll have even more opportunities to put more people in, in on shows. 
Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned Mandy Rose in NXT because that was going to be the next topic I wanted to talk about. Not her specifically, but she will come up in it. Uh, 2022 had a lot of big headlines involving wrestlers and social media. Uh, wrestling, obviously, not just uh, Twitter feuds and um, people breaking kayfabe, as it were, on social media. But the, the main story in the recent months of, of Mandy Rose running a private account that ended up leading to her termination. And within, they said, a week of her getting fired, she said she had made over $500,000 in, in subscriptions. Um, so I'm curious, uh, Benny, you uh, your thoughts here. Wrestling and social media was such a big deal with – uh, do you think it's it's a, it's been a good thing the, over the last year, or maybe it's something that they need to tone down? Where wrestlers, with anybody with a phone or a computer, has direct access to the fans, and you get to see the real person. You're not tweeting uh, CM Punk the character. You're tweeting Phil Brooks the man. Like, what do you think about that? I don't think there's anything that could be done about it. it. You know, I hate this cliche, but it truly is what it is. And as far as Mandy Rose goes, I think, you know, good for her because WWE has always used this term independent contractor. And that's just a nice way of saying, well, we're not going to give you benefits. We're not going to give you a pension. We're not going to give you profit sharing. Well, now it came back to bite them in the ass. And, you know, and there was somebody who was smart enough to know how to, to make some money outside WWE. Good for her. What do you think, Mikey? Well, um, you know, I think this topic of Mandy in particular takes me to other places, which is kind of, you know, our modern society simp culture of, of people, especially young men, kind of fawning over mostly young women on Instagram and then OnlyFans and whatever platform that Mandy used. I mean, yes, good for her. She made a lot of money. But to me, you know, it's kind of one step away from softcore pornography. And, uh, you know, that's just my feelings on it. But, yeah, she's making the money. Um, but then again, if you're going to be working for a company like the WWE with creeps like John Laurinaitis uh, around the women, well, why shouldn't she make the money in a different way and, and not be subject to that type of behavior? Well, you know, and if, and if they call well. them employees, though, and they invested in them as employees – and said, look, you know, you're you work for us. You know, we're gonna get, we're gonna take care of you. You know, you're gonna you're gonna work for us, but we're gonna give you benefits. We're gonna give you profit sharing. You know, we're gonna things like that. Then yeah, then I'd be more more critical of her. But you know, you can't have it both ways. I guess I if I could bring that point back up. Um, who was the politician in New York? Was it Pete? That the somebody in New York, a politician was trying to get wrestlers to be unionized. Do you, do you guys remember that this morning? Yeah, that was uh, that was uh, Andrew Yang, wasn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. And I, the reason why I brought that up is I've thought about that a lot, you know, the unionization of wrestlers, but it would be very tricky because it's like, do you have to be a main event wrestler or a main roster wrestler? Do you have to be in the company for so many years or have so many matches? But what if you're Logan Paul, who wrestles three matches a year, but they're big-time matches? You know, my, my point is, unlike baseball or football or, or any other endeavor or acting where there's some regularity to it, wrestling is so transient, and each contract is so unique. Uh, or, you know, maybe not contract, but each wrestler's deal with the promotion, whatever promotion it is, they're pretty unique. and it would be very difficult to unionize wrestling. I'm not opposed to it. It doesn't affect me one way or the other. I'm just saying I can understand why it hasn't happened yet because of all these nuances. That's all. Well, and don't forget the the story from the 80s when Jesse Ventura was trying to unionize the WWF wrestlers. The the Allegedly, the main reason Hulk Hogan kind of turned him in was because he he had his money in his spot. He what do I need a union for? Like you guys, you know, whatever the hell you want to do, but keep me out of it. You know, um, I mean, I imagine someone like a, a Roman Reigns is probably has a little more leverage to, uh, you know, to to do what he needs to do with with the company as far as the company goes than say, you know, I don't know Otis or someone like that, or Sasha Banks. 
Yeah, but uh, you know, it's talk about someone who uh, enough is enough, and it's time for a change. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny going over my notes for the show. I completely left that story out when we talked about our hello goodbyes. Was was her exodus from the company, and then this, just a couple what last week that she's officially a free agent. She's going to be in Japan among other things. Um, so yeah, sometimes people they they don't want to play. I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe Sasha Banks and Mandy Rose are head over to AEW and, and bulk up that women's division a little more. I well, mean, look at also, T- Tony storm had, had, she had enough of the WWE BS and she's, she's done great in her time in AEW. Yeah, you're right. Tony storm went over there. She won the interim women's championship. And when that title, uh, when the other champion, the, the, the reigning champion, Thunder Rosa, whatever happened with her and her injury or whatever, they basically defaulted and gave the, the the lineage title to Tony Storm, who since lost it to Jamie Hayter, I believe. Mm-hmm. But um, you're right. Here's a, here's another theme. I don't want to cut Benny off, but there's a theme for the year and maybe the last couple of years of former WWE talents who end up in AEW, like a Keith Lee, a Tony Storm, even a CM Punk in a radical example, Moxley, Jericho. There's a lot of people who've been kind of repackaged and fresh uh, paint of coats or fresh coat of paint, as they say. So it seems like in, in many ways, AEW is like the, the repackaging industry for, for former WWE wrestlers who didn't get a fair shot or were not used properly. And that's kind of an interesting uh, phenomenon. You know, it, it's funny. I, I was hoping, Benny. Um, I don't mean to 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 jump jump in, but I'm going to ask your thoughts on this. That was one of the notes down the road. Again, Mikey, thank you for your uh, <laughs> your topic jumping as always. But um, no, uh, Mikey brings up a great point. AW has done a wonderful job with some of these new coats of paint, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are. AW's repackaging versus, if you remember, the early days of WCW when Earthquake became Avalanche and IRS became Irwin Wall Street and the big boss man became big boss. And, uh, you know, uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake became, you know, Brother Brutai. Like like they were just, you know, you always, you always see the meme about when you order something on Wish. You know, what do you think about AEW trying genuine reboots versus WC, early WCW just cheap knockoffs? So I'm old enough that back in the day when I got my report card, you got a grade, but then you also got a grade for effort. And I got to say that, you know, I got to give a- AEW an A plus for effort because no matter what you say about them, they 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 just keep trying. Now, you know, as far as fresh coats of paint, I don't know that you'll ever, you know, with, with, with kayfabe gone, you know, back in the day, like I'll, I'll use a good example. Uh, I was, you know, as a kid watching wrestling and uh, this guy named Rocky Fitzpatrick came into the WWE an unbeatable, you know, it rolled over everybody. You know, they, they typically would, you know, beat Dominic DiNucci, who was the number two baby face in the, the late 60s, to set up a match with Bruno. That was actually Bob Orton Sr., Rocky Fitzpatrick. And then, you know, Bruno beat him, and then, you know, he wrestled a little bit longer and he's gone. Same thing with uh, Virgil Butcher, John Quinn. You know, came in from another territory, uh, unbeatable. Everybody was being carried out on a stretcher, including uh, Arnold Scullin, which, again, you know, big, big buildup to Bruno at the Garden. Of course, he lost, but we'll never have that again because, like, yeah, they'll put a different coat of paint on the guy, but we know who the guy is. You know what I mean? Like, no matter what, like, you know, Keith Lee or Adam Cole or whoever goes to over to AEW, it's not like we don't know who these people are. So, and, and that part's lost forever. And it's, it's, for me, you know, as an old school wrestling fan, that part's really sad. If I could, I guess ahead, for me, Benny, I was thinking more in terms of like, when I say Keith Lee, I'm not saying that AEW changed his name or anything like that. I'm just saying that in WWE, you know, they called him Bearcat on the main roster and he was, he was losing some, some pretty quick matches and it just seemed like they didn't know what to do with Keith Lee once he got up to the Raw show. And uh, then he comes over to AEW. He's a COVID survivor. And they put him in a tag team with, uh, what's this guy's name, Shane Strickland or Sean Strickland. And 
they win the tag team titles and it seems like a really good fit for Keith Lee. And, you know, maybe as a COVID survivor, it's tough for him to wrestle singles these days. I'm not, I'm just guessing, but in that tag team environment, I mean, one of the, one of the best matches of the year, as far as the fan base, but we haven't mentioned the acclaimed, you know, probably the most popular tag team of the year with the scissor me daddy and all that stuff. But when the acclaimed were in Chicago wrestling, swerve and keith lee for those tag team titles that was electric and uh you know for mm -hmm. these aew pay-per-views guys i typically go to the movie theater um you know cinemark theaters or amc typically has the aew pay-per-views on the big screen you pay 25 bucks and you okay. sit there and watch it on a movie theater screen yep and i could feel the electricity of of the acclaimed versus keith lee and, and strickland and Keith Lee and Strickland were not doing that in the WWE main roster. I'm sorry they weren't. So when I say a fresh coat of paint, it's more like AEW opens the door for some of these people, uh, Tony Storm included, to uh, you know do their own thing and present themselves in a way that's truer to them. And Cody Rhodes articulated it, ironically enough, very well you know, two or three years ago when he said, that the guys in AEW were writing their own music or listening to their own music as a metaphor. Uh, I guess the jukebox ran out of quarters for Cody because he went <laughs> back home to WWE. But in any event, I think the metaphor still stands that the wrestler, it, to me, what I like about AEW, it has, it's kind of like the ghost of wrestling past. It's not, you know, Eddie Graham wrestling from 1984, Billy Jack Haynes were superstar Billy Graham in a full Nelson challenge match, but at least there's some feeling of legacy. And I feel that they've done a good job of honoring the past. Like when they had Greg Valentine in the audience with a dog collar match between uh, Cody and uh, Brody Lee. And when they've had Arn Anderson had some, the best promos of Arn Anderson's life were with the Glock and everything were in AEW in the last couple of years. So Jake, the snake Roberts, they've given him a job. So I, I just, I feel a kinship to AEW. Uh, and I think um, it'll be interesting to see where things go. I, I did want to finish a point from earlier. When I went to that AEW dark taping at Universal Studios, it was four hours long and there was probably more than 40 matches most of them were squash matches. And there were so many people at that show that never appear on Dynamite or Rampage. They had this female twin tag team. There was all types of wrestlers that were really pretty interesting on, on that dark taping that I feel like AEW, they're going to do okay as far as the talent goes because they've got like their own, like, their dark taping is the closest thing they have to NXT, basically. So I think they're going to do okay with having new faces come in every once in a while, as needed. Can't go wrong with that. Now you know it's funny. Um, yeah, like I, I was saying when when I went and saw AEW, they they had all kinds of people that Tony Khan actually apologized for too much of a roster. I, I watched Dark. Uh, I'll admit I have it on in the background, you know, the YouTube show and there's times and, and Mikey, I don't know if you've ever had this or Benny where I'll, somebody will come out and I'll stop for a second and be like, Oh, I forgot. I totally forgot. They still worked there. Or, you know, somebody uh, like a Scorpio sky or somebody like that, who at one point was champion. And it's like, well, wait a minute. I, I, you know, I completely forgot you were still here. Like, uh, but yeah, it, it's speaking of um, uh, television, though, but as you know, we're, we're we're looking at towards the end of the end of our show here. Uh, I want to talk the big story for the year was um, the headline from just this weekend, <clears throat> the Friday, uh, December 30th Smackdown featured a return of John Cena. Uh, and they said it was the highest rated Smackdown in two years. Uh, A.W. Rampage, Dynamite, Raw, SmackDown, and NXT all had their lowest rated shows ever in 2022. Benny, I know you've been, uh, you did some research for, for numbers here. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the ratings stories from 2022. Yeah, and I was kind of surprised when I did this. I looked at uh, Raw, SmackDown, and NXT from uh, December 19th. Uh, to December 22, and then they did Dynamite from December 20 
to December 22 and Rampage it did from December 21 to uh, December 22. But this is the one that really shocked me. And I did you know, the, the raw uh, rankings from uh, ratings from December uh, 2019. They were uh, drawing about 2,137,000 per week. They're down to 1,447,000. That's a decline of 32%. That's huge. And, and I mean, and that was a decline in 2019. Probably if you went back to 2016, it was probably down 20%. So that's really alarming. Uh, SmackDown went from 2.409 in December of 19 to 2.243 in December of 2022, down 7%. Uh, NXT went from uh, 812,000 in December of 19 to 635,000 in December of 22, down 22%. The only one that really uh, was uh, AEW Dynamite, if I look at December of 2020, they went from 893,000 uh, 893, average to a 906,000 average. So they were actually up 1%. So that was the winner. Um, I mean, they were the only ones that really didn't take a steep drop. Yeah, I mean, uh, AEW has been interesting um, because they they have a lot of, uh, as they call it, hot shot booking. You know, they'll have um, some big moment, be it you know CM Punk is going to come out or Shaq or Mike Tyson or whatever, and they'll they'll there'll be that that one point two million, one point one million, and then by the end of that show, if you look at the quarter to quarter. It's down like even even the diehard I talked about, you know, we, we, Mikey mentioned it, how there's so much. And uh, at the beginning of the, you know, the hour, even the diehard wrestling fans, I am a diehard wrestling fan with nothing else to do in my life. Even I, I don't have a job. I don't have to work. I have nothing else to do except sit at home and do whatever I want. I'm still not watching 10 hours of wrestling a week on my television. I just I, I, I don't have time to do that, even if I had nothing better to do. And that's not a criticism of the product. It's y- y- the time. And you also have to look at uh, Mikey. I want to get your thoughts on this. The highest rated segment in raw history was over eight million. Uh, currently, they're averaging. But let's say I'll round up and let's say two. Okay, so you've lost six million viewers in in the last fifteen years, eighteen years. What do you think, AW aside? What do you think is driving the the ratings to be so abysmal to where they were just a few years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago? I don't think they ever recovered from the PG era. I think that drained a lot of energy from their ratings. I think um, you know the the double header on that was the Benoit incident and. Linda McMahon running for political office and that between those two events, they really went to that PG. But I think even before then, what they call the ruthless aggression era, say 2002 to 2006 or seven, I think there was ratings dips then. And I think part of it is goes back to with without Pepsi, Coke doesn't taste as good. And I think when Nitro or WCW went out of business, when, and Vince, you know, bought the the tape library and the ill-fated invasion angle. I think there was a lot of momentum where a lot of those wrestling fans, not to just say Southern wrestling fans, but uh, WCW fans with the lineage of being National Wrestling Alliance fans before that, they were lost and some of them haven't come back. And maybe some, some that are still around do now for things like Ric Flair's last match and Maybe some have given AEW a shot, but I'm telling you, I think there was a whole legacy uh, of of the territories that got manifested into Jim Crockett promotions at the end of that, and then got inherited, for lack of a better term, by WCW. And those fans, when Nitro went off the air in 2001, I don't know if a lot of those fans have ever come back as strong as they once were. Well, okay. Let me ask you then. Speaking of ratings, uh, I, I want to touch on one other story that really dominated a lot of social media, and that was the feud, uh, both verbal, online, um, the constant leaks to Dave Meltzer, uh, among others. The feud between CM Punk and the Elite, that being Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, and one of the focus of that that came up time and time again is the quarter to quarter ratings where 
whether you like him, hate him, buy his merch, whatever, CM Punk was statistically the biggest draw AEW had throughout the calendar year. His segments were number one. Uh, it wasn't until just the end of December that apparently Danhausen became the number one seller in AEW with CM Punk at number two. Um, so I'm curious, uh, you were talking about recovering. Do you think bringing in someone like a CM Punk was, I mean, anytime he was on TV, that was 250,000 viewers. He would bring just by himself. Uh, do you think that that it's possible to bring back maybe not six million, but to see Raw and and maybe AEW and some of these shows doing three or four million regularly again? Or do you think that that where we're at is about the ceiling that that wrestling has? I personally think it's the ceiling, and not to use the cop out that everybody uses, but uh, people do watch television differently now. I I watch stuff on streaming. Uh, a lot more than I ever did. And and to be honest with you, I canceled uh, YouTube TV a little while ago, which was my you know cable provider. You know what I mean? So I think a lot of people are kind of getting away from traditional cable television, which traditionally has been the home for Monday Night Raw, SmackDown, Dynamite, Rampage, etc. And I, I, I think besides the National Football League, and they've got their own problems right now, as we know, Mm -hmm. uh, with the situation from last night, the, the young man getting really hurt and hopefully he's going to get better. Uh, but I think, I think pro wrestling is going to be capped around two or 3 million at the most. And I think to wrestling's credit, and I don't like WWE that much, but to their credit, they were smart with the WWE network, which maybe lost them some money for a couple of years because they were losing all those pay-per-view buys. But once they made that deal with Peacock in the United States for Peacock to take over the WWE Network content, you got to give it. You got to give credit to WWE. They were ahead of the curve on that. They were really smart with that. And I think here's the thing, guys. I think wrestling's always going to have a place in society because it's such a simple setup. You need a ring. You need a ref. You need some ropes, and you need a couple of guys to wrestle. And it's not that complicated. If you're trying to put on a ice hockey tournament, you need a bunch of skates and a bunch of pucks and a bunch of pads. Uh, but with wrestling, you got a ring and you got some decent wrestlers, you got a show. So I think that wrestling will always have a future, whether it's 2 million or 8 million or somewhere in between is negotiable. But I think that pro wrestling is going to outlive all three of us and, and many generations Absolutely. to come. I can I couldn't agree more. And I think that's a great thought to, uh, to kind of wrap up on Benny 2022. Uh, we touched on a lot of stories. We touched on a lot of news. Um, I'm going to give you your final thought here. What do you think the biggest story out of 2022 was, and maybe something we haven't covered. No, I actually think it was Vince McMahon and, you know, the whole scandal. And I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I loved every second of it. <laughs> Mikey, what do you think? What was other than uh, uh, the the expansion of the Mikey Messier YouTube wrestling channel? What do you think was the biggest story out of 2022? The, the one that intrigued me the most was the CM Punk thing. And if people never got around to watching that press conference with the Mindy's Bakeries muffins and the, <laughs> and the who do you do improv with? I watched that thing three times, the CM Punk, you know, post post-show conference scrum i watched it three times and loved it and then i watched it the fourth time and i was sick of it but maybe i'm about due to watch it a fifth time because it's pure comedy and to give punk a little bit of a leeway there he he did have a really bad injury when he was doing that media scrum and i think that's part of that story that people overlook is that the guy was hurt and he probably shouldn't have been there at that scrum in the first place he should have been in the hospital or at least have an ice pack on his arm or whatever. And not just his arm. He, he had the towel around his neck because his head was still actively bleeding. looks like he literally walked straight from the ring to the, to the media right. area. You know, I, I'm curious. I hate to, uh, uh, quote someone else for, for our thoughts, but, uh, Jim Cornette, uh, he had a very lengthy bit several times. He's talked about, 
uh, the CM Punk thing. And he touched on what you did, Mikey, with CM Punk being hurt. And he thinks that the reason Punk went completely off Hilter the way he did is because he knew his arm was jacked. He knew he was going to be out probably six to eight months. Uh, he was bleeding. He was tired. This might be the last chance he gets to say any of this. Do you think that had anything to do with it? No, I, I personally don't. And I like Cornette, but I think sometimes the, the, the wrestlers sometimes think everything is a work or everything's predetermined or, and I just think with CM Punk or Phil as his, you know, that's his real name. I just think he was in a pissy mood. He said it himself. I'm hurt. I'm old. I'm tired. And I'm working with children and he's, he's battered. He's injured. He's bloody. And he was looking for a fight. I mean, he starts that press conference by asking the wrestling reporter, who do you do improv with? And then of course it's Colt Cabana and we go from there. So in my mind, CM Punk is a moody guy. I do respect him. Uh, I, I respect him mostly that he got AJ Lee to marry him. But um, I do feel that he's a moody individual. That's probably a real pain in the ass to be his friend in real life. But as far as a wrestling personality, uh, I got to give him credit. I enjoyed him more in, in AEW than I ever did before. Straight Edge Society, whatever. I just thought, I think the CM Punk in AEW overall was a success. It brought more eyeballs to the company. It ended poorly. Maybe they'll never do business together again. But I think it was a good way for CM Punk. If he if that's his last wrestling run, I think it was well worth doing. I think it was successful, even with the crappy ending. I, okay, I can see that. Now, let me ask you... Um as we wrap up, because obviously the, the crux of Sam Punk's issues were the stories being spread that he was the reason Cole Cabana wasn't on TV, which uh, obviously was complete crap. Um, they Somebody looked back over it and Cole Cabana had had six televised matches in the year before CM Punk was even signed to AEW, uh, which was which was less than he had in the years the first year CM Punk was with the company, um, you know, the, the, the narrative. So let me ask you, Benny, um, as we wrap up final thought there, do you think, because they, you know, depending on what source you go to Dave Meltzer, pretty much being a, uh, uh, a talking point for the elite here. Do you think this, the, the stories that have come out from anonymous sources in AEW about CM Punk, do you think they're anybody, but, the elite or, or and Jericho, or do you think that they, there's a chance that maybe it's someone else that, that punk was wrong in directing his anger? I don't know. I, I listened to the scrum a couple of times, like, you know, not as much as Mike did, but, um, and you know, when I first listened to him, they're like, man, this guy's another Bret Hart doesn't like anybody. But when I listened to what he actually said, you know, like, you know, when he talked about Cole Cabana, that he paid the guy's bills for years and he's not doing it anymore. And he, he talked about the Young Bucks and he talked about Adam Adam Page. Uh, everything he said to me made sense. Because that, that's my opinion. I mean, he, he was once he got past his anger and his sarcasm, the things he said, there, there was a lot of wisdom in them. Yeah, I think he also... Uh... He CM Punk, as as Mikey said, you know, he's a very proud, somewhat maybe arrogant individual. He came to a company with with more experience than half the locker room combined and was openly I mean, several people have openly come out and said, I don't want to listen to the veterans. I mean, he gets there and there were I mean, uh, FTR, uh, there was um I'm drawing a blank on his name now. Several high-profile people he worked with uh, that that said Punk was great. He taught me all kinds of stuff. He was quite a mentor, and and others um, who said, you know, we we don't care what he has to say, whether he's experienced or not. I could see the anger there. Uh, it, it's interesting, and that was, you know, it's funny that image of him bloody, beaten. I'm old. I'm tired. I work with children. Was was. Really, 2022 wrestling in a nutshell. I'm old, I'm tired, I work with children. I'm hurt, I'm old, I'm tired, and I work with children. But, uh, Mikey, thanks again. Um, obviously, yeah. we always love having you on. Um, you've got a lot of stuff on your plate for 2023. What, what can we expect from Mikey Messier in the coming year? I, I do want to give you a 
maybe it was Powerhouse Hobbs or Darby Allen. That's that the does. one. Powerhouse Hobbs is the name I couldn't remember. Yep, yep. Uh, 2023, uh, today started off nice. I got a uh, certificate from a festival called Cult Movies International Film Festival. They gave um, Best Surreal Film to Disregard, which is a new film that I just finished in November and uh, sending out to festivals now. And um, my book, Spider Play Basketball, Every Shot Counts, that Benny actually uh, has the forward in that one. Uh, that's on Amazon and A Distance from Avalon, um, When the Dying and the Dead Reunite is also on Amazon. These are my novels. I do have a pro wrestling trivia book up there on Amazon uh, Kindle Vela, which people can check out, some old school wrestling trivia. And uh, for the rest of the year, man, I'm, I'm just going to do what I can to... Uh, have a good year. I haven't really plotted out a full strategy yet, but I'll keep you posted. Uh, MikeMessier.com and subscribe to Mike Messier YouTube channel. Always good stuff there too. I love the, uh, the, the, ang not, I want to say angry rants, but you really have some passion for the business and I can respect that. Thanks. Benny, what do, what do you got? Uh, 2023. What, what's in store for, for the great Benny Scala 2023? I'm just going to hang with you and we're going to get a lot of, you know, a lot more interesting guests. Hopefully we can get some of the guests we had in 22, uh, 2022 back on, you know, uh, Kent Patera keeps asking me about returning and that that'll be great. I think, uh, I, I don't think we, <laughs> I don't think we scratched the surface with him and I'd love to hear some more of his, his stories. And, uh, even Susan green who we had on uh, a couple of weeks ago said she had a blast and she wants to come back on. So, you know, we got some other uh, Johnny Rods is uh, supposed to come on the show. And just I'm, I'm excited because, you know, from my perspective, you know, like a guy like Johnny Rods, who I watched when I was 13 years old, just to be able to talk to the guy is a thrill. And I mean, and the guy knows so much about wrestling and he's trained so many great wrestlers besides having a, a, a legendary career in his own right. So like, I, I just love this. I hope this never ends. Yeah, no, absolutely. This it, last year was was you know it sounds cliche, but it was our best year yet. And 2023 is is going to shape up to be a great time. You and I have had a lot of fun doing this, and I keep saying, you know, not not a bad little effort for something that started with you know two microphones and a laptop, basically in, in our garage. But right, got gotta love it. Uh, so for Mikey Messier, subscribe to Mikey Messier YouTube for the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. I'm Dan Spasciano. 2022 is a great year. Here's the 2023. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time we're in the ring. Happy New Year.